had cancer? Stage four, do not pass, go, cancer? Hadn't he watched her suffer? An endless year of days, mourned and mopped and propped and wished for her release and flogged himself for the wishing? It was over. She had been released. And Ray, George's husband, Gordon's longtime friend, his sweet-souled frat buddy from Jupiter, Florida, a lumbering athlete with a physicist's brain and the heart of a child. Ray was dead, too. Gordon had to recalibrate. Ray had told Gordon more than once during the illness, Bo, I can't live without her. Gordon had sensed it had been more than just a manner of speaking. So perhaps Ray had felt gratitude, too, in the last conscious instant of his life. Gordon decided he would not call his mother. He would give her these last few moments of innocent play with Kiefer. Nor would he call his Aunt Nora. Nora was as brave as a bear, but she had told Gordon not long ago that she didn't need to know all the whys and wherefores, that she would ask Georgia about it someday in heaven. But heaven, Gordon thought, as he carefully parked his car a prudent distance up on the dry shoulder of the road, had been only a concept when Nora made that statement. Now that kingdom had come, Nora would be shattered. It would be he, he realized, at twenty-four, the youngest but one of his cousins, who would have to provide the strong shoulder, the steadying hand. But everything he saw looked odd, looked unsettling, for everything looked like any other day. Gordon first thought he had come to the wrong place, or that this had all been a mistake, a prank. Where was Dale Larson, after all? There was no sign of the familiar police cruiser. Merry, frank summer afternoon sunlight glistened on the river birches. Cars bristling with bikes and camping gear boomed past. Gordon felt himself to be the only thing in the landscape, at all out of the ordinary. Even the rupture in the aluminum railing looked innocuous, fender-bender quality. He looked to the bank beyond. A half-dozen members of the Trempolo County Fire Department stood gazing into the shallow stream, doing apparently nothing. The car must have flown. The wreck must be over there. A county ambulance parked a few yards up the bank was not running, though the doors yawned wide. He leaned over, looked down and across the stream. He could see it then. The metallic stack of angles that was all that was left of his father's beloved vintage car nuzzled shyly, nose down in its nest of sand, river boulders, and concrete, encircled by a rainbow fan of slick oil and blood, with glass everywhere. And more, webs and strands of red and beige, in the water, in the willow branches, Gordon could never recall the next moments, except as fractured vignettes, sequenced with periods of blindness. Like slides shown in a darkened room, vaulting the rail, he'd slipped-walked down the hot, grassy slope, past the policeman, an eerie dream-walk that felt in every exterior sense so normal that it could have been any sunny summer day of his childhood. Sliding, nearly falling, recovering his footing, finally he was abreast of the car, in the creek was a concrete abutment, a kind of dam, 
meant to keep spring floodwaters off the road. The car had apparently smacked into the leftmost edge of it. The hood was bent back against what had been the front seat, the way a child bends bread for a jelly sandwich. Nothing could have been extracted living. The windows had popped outward, and what Gordon could see through the collapsed driver's side opening looked at first something like the sea wasps he saw when he dived deep. Delicate, parachute-like membranes veined with maroon and blue and golden threads. Ray. Oh, Ray. And what the side pillar of the windshield had done. Ray. He could not focus on what bobbed in the shallow stream at the corner of his field of vision, the long strip of purple fabric embroidered with gold stars, his sister's shirt. Gordon began to cry. Two of the officers ambled over, reached out.